SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to South Africa's news and information leader, and I mentioned on PM Live this afternoon that the 2018 Tour de France route has been revealed, and it's an interesting one to say the least. Uh, we join now by a man who knows uh, cycling inside out, former pro cyclist himself, Owen Heine. Owen, welcome on to SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. Thanks for for joining us tonight. Thanks, Brad. It's always a pleasure chatting to you. Owen, uh, the route for the 2018 tour, I looked at it, and I like it. It's, uh, there's a couple of curveballs thrown in there. Your, your initial thoughts when, when you saw it? Well, when I first saw it, I thought, wow, okay, they're starting along the West Coast, which is a very windy part of France, as you all know. But, you know, it being the shortest Tour de France in, in the 21st century, I mean, 32,329 kilometers doesn't mean too much. So what you need to look at is uh, some of the obstacles that the, the uh, organisers have thrown in there this year. Back onto the cobblestone to go back up the uh, Alpes and the team time trial is also back in, on the cars. So I think it's going to be a very, very interesting course. And when I looked at it initially, I thought, OK, you know, fine, it's short and everything like that, but where are the time trials? Once again, the Tour de France organisers have put uh, the uh, individual time trial right at the end of the tour at the ultimate day. And that means that uh, we've got Chris Froome, you know, as the ultimate favourite once again. We know that he did it this year. He won the Tour de France by winning the uh, individual time trial. And that put him in the yellow jersey once again to head on to his fourth title. But I look at another contender that is going to be coming in. And I think de Moulin will be his biggest rival in the 2018 Tour de France. That excites me because we need some kind of competition to make the race all that more exciting. Yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned the individual time trial. That's a penultimate stage. You also mentioned the team time trial back. And, uh, I mean, those team time trials, the dynamics are quite interesting. It always does favor the strong teams. And, and we've seen the sort of strong team that, that Sky's been able to put together. Do you think it's going to be as much of an advantage if it was possibly two individual time trials for Chris Froome? Well, I think even though we've seen the last time we saw the team time trial was back in 2015, and uh, Team Sky won that one. But at the same time, yes, they were able to put together a very strong team, no doubt about it. What makes a difference, though, is Chris Froome is losing a couple of strong teammates to other teams this year. So they're going to go through a rebuilding phase. Whether they'll have the same team dynamic as they had in the past, that's going to be very interesting as well. But Team Sky, you know, they've always come well prepared to the Tour de France, making sure that they've uh, reconned the Tour and made sure that they've got the best possible riders and uh, they, they usually come to the Tour of World prepared to make sure they've won right in particular is going to win the Tour de France, and that being Chris Froome. But next year is going to be very different, though, and I think a lot more teams are going to put an effort into it, especially in the team time. John, we've seen how strong um, the Sunweb team is with uh, Tom de Moulin. They're an extremely well-disciplined team, and there's no doubt that they're also going to be very focused in making sure that they get through that unscathed. And I think um, the, the team time trial comes quite early on, so it's not a problem for some of the riders. Yes, you may lose a bit of time, but you're not going to lose too much time to, to, uh, to Chris Froome because what Chris Froome is going to be worried about is that ninth stage. They're going to be going over the cobbled stones of uh, Roubaix, and we all know the hell of a Norse race can throw up some big surprises. And we saw the last time they went over the cobbled stones of Roubaix, it was Vincenzo Dibali that came out at uh, Trump. So, Vincenzo Dibali is also another name we to throw in there. And if they do lose time on the time, team time trial, no doubt that these adversaries will throw a lot into the uh, cobblestone section, making sure that they can get some time in Chris Froome. But it's going to be difficult to to uh, get the best of Chris Froome if he's got a very strong team around him. What they'll do 
is make sure that they get into those cobblestone sections as early as possible, the first team in there, and that's where they can control the race. But if there's bad weather on the cobblestone section of the Roubaix route, then that could throw an interesting card in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the climbs, up the way back in. There's also another, Brad, I must mention that the, I think it's 17th stage, 65 kilometers long. I looked at that and I thought to myself, is that a typo? Is that correct? <laughs> but yes, the 17th stage is only 65 kilometers and not 165 kilometers long. That's going to be another interesting stage for me because what happens in a very short stage is the, what happens is the guys attack more frequently and the racing, racing becomes more predictable. And I think that's going to be an interesting stage whether a team car can control that should uh, Christian Breen the yellow jersey. What's uh, going to happen? A lot more teams will throw, uh, you know, attack at Chris Froome, and that could unstabilize him completely. So this next year's Tour de France is going to be so interesting. There's so many variables that come into it. But like I said, it's, you know, it's all about Chris Froome right now and the Tom de Moulin show. Yeah, and, and just to touch on that 65-kilometer stage, Tom, for cycling enthusiasts, it, it's, it seems like a short stage, which it is in the greater scheme of the Tour de France things, mm. but 38 kilometers of that stage is uphill. More than half of it, they're going to be climbing, so uh, the riders will be fairly fresh at the start of it, and like you say, I think they're going to be throwing the kitchen sink at each other on that one. It should be, it should be a, a short, sharp shootout and, and super exciting to watch. Well, it's going to be short and sharp, and it will be very exciting to watch with all the tactical that are going to front which makes it very difficult for any of the teams to control. And being an uphill stage, yes, we know that Chris Room is a very good uh, climber, but then again, Tom Dunwell is also a very good climber, and some of the Colombians that will throw the kitchen sink uh, at them as well. It's going to be an epic stage of notes. I mean, it's only going to probably be about two and a half hours long maximum. Um, hopefully nobody gets eliminated in a short stage like that, but it's a very good possibility that riders could be eliminated. Being such a short stage... The stage becomes so fast that uh, riders that lose a huge amount of time could be chucked up at the Twitter plant, and that, that still was one week left to go. So it's going to be interesting to see who is able to stay in the race and who's going to be in the yellow jersey after a 65-kilometer stage. I think the Twitter plant organizers have it right. Putting a short stage makes it very unpredictable and makes us very enthusiastic about it and makes for great TV coverage. Yeah, absolutely. It all gets underway on the 7th of July, 2018. I can't wait. It's probably my favorite sporting event on the global sporting calendar. Uh, three weeks. I'm putting in my leave now. I'm going to be watching it non-stop. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Owen Ali, once again for your insight. Much appreciated. We look forward to catching up again soon here on SAFM Sports Trap. Always a pleasure, Brad, and enjoy the Twitter Fast. It's uh, all of, uh, what, eight months full away. <laughs> I'm counting the sleeps. <laughs> Cheers. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. This is South Africa's news and information leader, and time to chat some Sevens rugby. And uh, the announcement coming uh, by Blitzbox, Stephen, uh, Stefan Dippenau, that he is uh, hanging up the boots, calling it quits on a pretty successful career. He joins us now. Stefan, welcome on to SAFM Sports Trap this evening. Thanks for joining us. Hello, guys. Thanks for listening. Nice to be here. Stefan, always a, a tough call to make, I'm sure, uh, deciding to, to, to call it a day on, on a, a pretty successful rugby career. Talk to me about what, what, what the thinking process was. Why, why is it now? Yeah, yeah, it was a hard decision to make, but I, uh, I always told myself I'm just going to play rugby uh, to enjoy it. And uh, the, the, I enjoyed it very much for the last, like a couple of years, uh, the training got a bit to me, all the fitness and running around, and I was uh, st- 
struggling sometimes to keep up with the young lads, and then I then I just decided, yeah, it, uh, it's like feeling for me to get like a job, and uh, I, I I just want to do it for fun. You, you talk about keeping up. Keeping up with the young guys, you're only 29 yourself, so I mean, you look at some players playing well into their 30s. Uh, as a player, you, you know when it's time, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just knew. Yeah, it's like uh, 29 is uh, quite old for sevens. Like the, the young guys, if, if, if you train uh, two days in a row, I'm walking like so and terrible, and the other guys are still jumping around, and I was like, what the hell? Did you guys not do what I did? And uh, I kind of. I, couldn't explain it, and then I just decided, yeah, it's time for me to hang up the boots. Let's talk about your career and some of the, the highlights. You were obviously involved uh, in the 2013 Rugby World Cup, uh, in, in that uh, World Cup Sevens. From, from a highlights perspective, would you say that's right up there, or, or, or would it be something else? Uh, yeah, that uh, was right up there, but I... Uh the highlights for me in my in my seventh career was definitely this year, like winning winning the overall uh, series. I didn't play that much, but uh, I was still part of the group and uh, played two tournaments and, and won won both of them. So uh, it's definitely a high. And then in my 15 man career, it was probably playing the <coughs> semi final against the Crusaders in the Weto Stadium. Uh, stadium in the, Stefan, talk to me about, uh, I mean, you obviously came from a 15-man background, and, and we all know if we've played rugby at some stage, there's always some sevens mixed in there, but the decision to, to move from 15s and specialising in sevens, and, and especially in a country like South Africa, where 15-man where rugby is almost like the be-all and end-all, uh, the sevens guys work really hard, they, they're great athletes, but they probably don't get as much TV time and, and, and exposure as the 15-man. Is it a tough decision to make to, to go that route? Yes, it, it was quite uh, that time of. I, I, firstly, off, I, I think sevens is, is is getting more exposed now because of, it, because it's an Olympic sport. But uh, way back when I started, it wasn't that popular. Uh, but I just by myself the transition. I I was just I wanted to run a bit more with the ball because in fifteen men, like if you play against like teams like the Crusaders and the defense systems in place, they close the space quite uh, easily and I uh, I quite uh, like running with the ball and, and that's where, where I uh, decided I, I would I would rather or want to play uh, seven for the rest of, of my career. Tell me about some of the players that you, you really looked up to throughout your career. I saw after you tweeted about the retirement, Carl, Carl Brown's talking about lots of bribes. You obviously played a bit with Kyle in your career. Some, some of the other big names, and, and it could possibly be Kyle, that, that some of the best players you've played with in, in a team? Yeah, definitely. Carl, I look quite up to him because uh, when I started, he was, was captain and was quite calm. I looked quite up to him. Frankie Horn was a big influence as well. Uh, he played like so much sevens, and then uh, also Sicil uh, Africa, where he's an amazing sevens player, and he's just got the brain for it. How difficult is it walking away, particularly from from a sevens perspective? Because, I mean, we we know the fifteen man game. There's this brotherhood, but I almost get the feeling that the, the bond is tighter amongst the sevens players. The the guys just are are, are like a family, and 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 walking away and deciding that's it, I'm I'm done. It, it, it must be difficult. It, it can't be easy to to make that sort of decision. 
Uh, it's quite difficult. Uh, was a few nights I I think about it, but uh, I've made the decision. And and the thing is, one one thing about family is like uh, I'm I'm walking away, but they never I'm never far away from them. So we're still gonna have brides. We're still gonna see the guys. It's just I'm not gonna see them like every every day, but I, I will see them still a lot. What, what's life after rugby going to be like for Stefan Dippenar? What's what's on the cards? Uh, Stefan Dippenar is uh, on the farm now. Uh, we have a family <laughs> farm here in Moriesta, so I'm uh, going to learn like a few tricks and trades here with my dad, and then when he retires, I'm uh, hopefully going to take over the, uh, the farm. Your folks must be extremely proud of, of what you've done. Like you say, Muriesburg, it's not, uh, it's not the biggest of places on the planet. Uh, <laughs> and, and to go back after what you've achieved and what you've seen and what you've done, they must be incredibly proud of you. Yeah, they are. And I'm uh, very proud of them for raising me and, and giving me everything I wanted and, and giving me the opportunities and always supporting and backing me. And, uh, yeah, now I'm back. Like you said, Mariespa is a very small town, but uh, I'm back here, and uh, I'm loving it. For, for those who don't know where Mariespa is, tell us tell us where it is. Mariespa is uh, on N7, like north. It's, uh, on, if you drive from Cape Town, it's like an hour's drive from Cape Town uh, on the N7 north, like on your way to, if you want to drive to Ventus, uh, uh, Namibia, that way. Yeah. And it's in the middle of nowhere, is it not, Stefan? Yeah, it's a small, very, very small town. <laughs> Excellent. Very well, nice. Friendly well, guys. Stefan, <laughs> enjoy the farming. Uh, we look forward to, to seeing how, how you progress in that chapter of your life. I'm sure you're going to be sending uh, positive vibes to the, to the Sevens guys as they continue the next season uh, and beyond. And, and thanks for the memories and thanks for being part of, of that, an incredible setup. I think South African Sevens rugby has done amazing over the last few years. And thanks for the part that you've played in it. Yeah, thank you so much and thanks for the call. We uh, really appreciate it. Have a great night. You're listening to Sport on SAFM, the next best thing to being at the game. You're listening to South Africa's news and information leader and there are certain sporting occasions uh, as South Africans that uh, if you think back to certain uh, sporting events, you can pretty much remember exactly where you were at specific times. And I think back to the final of the 1995 Rugby World Cup, the 96 Africa Cup of Nations, the first game of the FIFA 2010 World Cup and also the final of the 20, uh, 2007 Rugby World Cup. And the anniversary is coming up this coming Friday of the Springboks lifting that trophy in France. And I can't believe it's 10 years ago. Seems like yesterday. One of uh, the men who were part of that uh, illustrious group is Victor Matfield. And he joins us now. Victor, welcome back onto SAFN Sports Trap this evening. Thanks for joining us. Can you believe it? It's 10 years ago. It, it, time flies. It, it must. It's, to me, it seems like yesterday. I'm not sure if it's the same for you. Yeah, I must say it doesn't feel that far back, but um, yeah, after that a lot has happened and um, has had some great other experiences as well, but um, well, that memory is still pretty fresh in my, my, my mind. Victor, you, you've had some, some great moments in your career, uh, obviously with, with the Bulls super, super Rugby titles. Would you say that was the highlight of, of your rugby career? Yes, I think um, there's a lot of highlights. I must say it's very difficult to pinpoint one. But um, I think if you, if I think back and actually when we arrived back in South Africa and we went through the country with a trophy, 
that was really special just to see what it means to the country if you win a World Cup out, um, bring, bring everyone together. And, um, yeah, just everywhere I went, I can remember people just saying thank you for what you've got done for the country. And uh, it was very special to get back here and to see uh, how, how much it means to the people. In your opinion, what made that team so special? You've been involved in many teams throughout your career, but there was something about that one. What, 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 do, you, what do you think it was? I think there were certainly some special players. And um, the other thing is I think there was a four-year journey. Um, I always say it wasn't just the World Cup. We, I can remember the first day we got into camp with Jake White in 2004 after that um, very bad 2003 World Cup. And the first day when we walked in, uh, he wrote on the board in the front of the team room that we will win the 2007 World Cup. So it was up and down through that four years, but uh, I'm a pretty radical stuff when we were ready. We didn't put everything as a bank. We must have ready to go. Vic, if I could ask you just to, to move around, we seem to be, be losing you once again. You, you talk about Jake White and, and that, that four-year journey, and often you, you need to sort of really taste disappointment and, and the bitterness of disappointment to, to enjoy the sweetness of, of victory, and there were some tough times in, in those four years. Uh, the, the team, and, and I think about what the box have gone through over the last couple of seasons as well, the team then went through a couple of real big dips, but to come out of those stronger and, and to win the tournament must have, must have been incredible. Yes, if you think back in... Uh 2006, Jack almost got fired at the end of year tour. Uh, 2005, I can remember we had a bad loss against France in the same stadium where we won the trophy. And I remember sitting in the change room afterwards and we all were uh, listen guys, we're still on the journey. We're still going to win the trophy. Just think in two years' time we'll sit in the same change room and we'll have uh, uh, William with Alex in the middle of the circle and we'll be drinking champagne and beer and everything. And it happens exactly like that. So, yes, you have to go through tough times. So but the thing is, it must bring you close together. It can't pull you apart, and you can't start showing fingers at each other and just thinking about yourself. You have to go through it, and you have to get better, and you have to learn from every um, disappointment as well. Some some sort of big games in that tournament too. The Open, obviously, against England was was one that stands out in my mind. Other than the final, what game do you think is, is the one that, that really stands out for you? Yeah, probably that England game was a big game. We knew uh, we had to, had to win that game to have an easier route to the final. And um, that was probably, in that whole take care, that was probably the best game we ever played. As we the pre were outstanding. Uh, it's probably the best performance by any Springbok on any day, in any, in any game. And, um, yeah, we just knew after that game, listen, the other game is going out to the game against Fiji. Zealand and Australia looked on the Friday night in the quarterfinals, and I remember it sounded like we won the Fiji on the Friday Sorry, Vic, we, we, see, we, we seem to be losing you again. If, if you wouldn't mind just moving, you, you were saying that the Fiji game for the, the quarterfinals? Yes, the Fiji game, the quarterfinals, um, was very special, of course. New Zealand and Australia lost on the Friday night, and we played on the Saturday night, and uh, we knew it was going to be much easier if we come through, and we were in real trouble game, being done by quite a few points, and then, luckily, I think we've the team and the composer just got through. 
they actually won it quite easily, but um, there was a moment in that game that we were really in trouble. And I guess there's lots of lessons that can be learned for the, the current crop of, of Springboks. Uh, yes, they've had an up-and-down season this season. Last year was, was diabolical, but it, it's not over until it's over. And I think that's across any sport. you, you just got to always believe that you, you're in with a shot if you're on the field. I think that's what Jay did. He had a plan in his head. He had a number in his head. How many caps the whole team must have when you go into the World Cup final. And... Uh, Although there were players that were maybe out of form and didn't make much, listen, I have to back these guys. These guys need the experience. They need to go through the hard and the um, good times. And that way they'll develop into a great team and into players that can handle any um, problem on the field. So I think if a current management team can do the same, say, listen, we've had a bad year. This year was much better. Uh, we started these guys play 20 tests more together, they'll be a very good team when it comes to the World Cup. Absolutely. Well, Victor Matfields, from me personally, and I'm sure from all our listeners as well, thank you for some great memories back in 2007. I think back fondly to them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, thank you for the part that you played in it. You, you brought us lots of joy. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. SAFM Sports Wrap. Yeah, apologies for the quality of that line. Unfortunately, not the greatest of Victor Matfield, but we did get the gist of it. Uh, and thank you to all our guests this evening for joining us here on SAFM Sports Wrap. If you'd like to be in touch, you can via social media. Just search for SAFM Radio. You can also reach out to me personally at Big Brad Brown is where you can find me. And if you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can email sport at safm.co.za. Coming up on the other side of your 7 o'clock news, it is the talk shop. We'll be back again tomorrow evening at 6.30. More sport for you tomorrow on AM Live with Janet Witten. Make sure you tune in there from myself, Brad Brown, and my producer, Siobhan Chetty. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. It is 7 o'clock in time for your news.